Hello, and welcome to The Embargoed, the only podcast that gives you the unvarnished truth about the world of technology public relations. Our aim is to go behind the headlines to tell you what's really going down and have a little fun in an industry that often takes itself too seriously. Every Thursday, we touch on the top stories of the week, dissecting the worlds of technology, business, politics, pop culture, and whatever else we can examine through the lens of public relations and corporate communications. We promise to be honest, straightforward, and mostly irreverent. We'll never bore you with details about which company announced what, unless, of course, we really liked the what. I don't feel like going home, but all my cash is gone. Yeah, I got nothing to do tonight. I'm passed out on the floor. the embargoes i'm david oro and along with my co-host kevin wolf we're gonna bring you something good we're just fresh off of vacations right kevin you, you I, came back i don't know if i'm fresh i, I this vacation <laughs> crystallized for me that when you take your kids on a quote-unquote vacation it really uh it, it, it rarely amounts to such uh, i actually came <laughs> home with a cold it's not covid fortunately but my <laughs> the, the whole family is sick so no dave i'm not fresh how about you <laughs> I'm semi-fresh. Okay. It is Thursday, and the work week is getting to me, but I'm still here and alive. So, good. Uh, I'm glad to be here. So, me too. Hey, so uh, the music today actually aligns with what we're talking about. So, uh, it's going to be talking about careers. So, anywhere from college majors, internships, jobs, as we think about our journey in the professional world, getting a job and having it become a career can be daunting or in many cases, unplanned. There is no shortage of books claiming to reveal the secret truth behind these careers, uh, but you've heard it from your, in podcasts, TED Talks, late night motivational speakers, as well as your relatives. I'm sure there's been an uncle out there telling you how to get a job and get advice, right? Sure. Um, you know, but a lot of this managing is really about managing yourself in the mirror. Uh, the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, the, the, the person in the mirror. That's right. Our, yeah. Our guest today, and I'm really proud to have him here, and I'm, I'm glad he decided to do show. Our guest today has reached the pinnacle of the comms profession in the tech industry, going from a lowly account executive at a PR agency to the chief communications officer at a publicly traded company. He recently put down his pen stopped calling his media connections and forgot about puny comms, comms budgets and understaffed teams to move to the wine country and is now officially a grape grower and a retired comms pro. Sounds like a good trajectory to me. Please join me in welcoming my good friend, Michael Bustle into the show. Hello, Michael. Hey, David, great to be here. Michael, it's, uh, it's great to have you. Dave, uh, it's great that we have a wine professional on the show because you brought a lot of cheese. 
thank you. I'll, I'll take that. Wine and cheese go well. So they sure do. You know, Michael, hey, Michael, it's great to have you, man. Really. Thank hey, you. Kevin. By the way, Michael hired me at Fleischman Hiller 25 years ago. I appreciate you rescuing me from PR agency purgatory. I was working at a small shop in Santa Clara, focused on the semiconductor equipment industry. So uh, thank you for that. So it was, a, it was a wise decision on my part. <laughs> so and then Michael and I also he I don't know if you hired me Michael honestly so here's here's my little story of Michael I had it's my senior year in college I had one semester left and I was only taking like six units so I wanted an internship interviewed at this place called Fleischman Hillard Michael was part of the interview team and it was a new office I think there was only like 10 of you there and uh, I went in the interview and I was <clears> stoked <throat> because the interview was going if I got this internship, it was going to be the first one that paid 10 bucks an hour is what it was paying me. And I was like, I got to get this. It's like 20 hours a week. I could do it. They interviewed some folks, went in there, met with uh, Michael and uh, Mary, Marilyn Kilcrease at the time. I think she was there. And uh, Michael asked me a question. And I had just come from semester break. I went overseas, spent some time. And, you know, I'm a college grad or almost about to be a college grad. And I wasn't really paying too much into the business world, particularly after coming off break. He's all, what do you think about the 1996 Telecommunications Act? And I think I just stared at you. I'm like, what the hell did you just say to me? Like, what, what act? What, what are you talking about? Like, what do you, I don't know what the implications are going to be. Needless to say, Michael, I did not get hired after that interview. <laughs> So here's this thing. They hired two other interns. David, you, by the way, real quick, had you been prepping for that interview by uh, spending, uh, staying out late all night? At, uh, yeah, right. Totally. Was that, totally. Your, that your strategy? Yeah. But here's the deal. It's like I got, they, they hired two people and I was bummed. There was money out the door. A week and a half later, Marilyn calls me. Hey, we got a budget for another intern. Why don't you come on in? And so I got the job. The two people that were the other interns did not get extended a full-time job. And I was the only one of those interns that got a full-time job. And boom. So we eventually got it right. Is the next yeah, You eventually got it right. But that was an early lesson in PR that you need to know about major things happening outside the world so you can begin to understand business and stuff like that. So Michael, I think the question is, do you regret that decision 25 <laughs> years Every later? day. Every, every day. day. Okay. Okay. All right. So Michael's was, he's worked at a PR agency. You were at Hill and Knowlton. You were a PR manager at Cadence. Then, you know, you know us from Fleischman. You made it, you know, over there to a general manager. I think you moved to San Diego, didn't you? Or something like Correct. that. Open the San Diego office. Yep. Yeah. And then you went back in-house and um, <clears throat> McAfee, Juniper, Seagate, ServiceMax. And then finally, I guess the last job was the chief comms officer at CrowdStrike, which went public a few years ago. Uh, tell us, a, add a little bit of color to that, Michael. I mean, did, was this something that you've always wanted to do? Was, was this a career you wanted to be when you grew up or what? How'd you, how'd you get in this place? You know, coming, growing up, um, my, my parents were school teachers. Um, I, was, uh, I was the kid in your class who, if there was a contest and who could sell the most whatever in order to win the prize the giant thing the giant chocolate bar or the free ticket to whatever i was the kid who went door to door and sold the most you know i just was kind of just kind of you always I, had I, that outgoing personality there i always i was always wanted to sell something i think right. 
So, um, so yeah, I mean, I figured out fairly somewhere in my in my very as I was turning to teenager that if I put on my Boy Scout uniform, regardless of whether it was scouting related, I'd sell more. So I was kind of like, it was just a driven kid. And so I, I knew when I went off to college that I was going to business in some way. And I graduated from Santa Clara University in 1989. And my career came down to $3,500. I had two job offers out of Santa Clara after, let's say, 120 days of trying to find a job. So it's, it's the fall. I still don't have a job. I've been interviewing I've been rejected by all the best companies in the world for entry-level positions. I've got this wall of rejection of all these logos from all these corporate companies who've sent me a no thanks ladder. It's covering a complete wall of my apartment. I'm about to lose my apartment because I don't have any income. Um, and I get two job offers, one from Shiat Day, at that point, the hottest uh, ad agency in the world. They just won the Nissan business. And I was, got an offer for an assistant media buyer in San Francisco off Maiden Lane, making $17,500 a year. <laughs> Hey, but you were on Maiden Lane. That's a lot of money. Hey, dude, but you were on Maiden Lane. out of your apartment. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So day later, I get the offer from Hill and Knowlton in Santa Clara, making $21,000 a year. Easy call. Yeah. In the South Bay and made $3,500 more, I could actually afford to eat something other than Top Ramen. And if I worked in Maiden Lane in San Francisco and went out for drinks with my colleagues, I'd never see another piece of real protein again. So my career choice was made over $3,500 in the car I went. You know, Michael, you said something that struck me as interesting, the, um, the wall of, re- of rejection letters. When I uh, got my first job in PR, uh, I had moved to the Bay Area. It was 1995. I bought a book. It was, I didn't have the internet, really. It was the you know, 500 best jobs in the Bay Area. And I had turned to the advertising section, advertising public relations and I literally just started going through it and calling these companies and pitching myself. And, it, you know, I realized then, and, and it's something I know obviously now, is that PR is very much a sales process. And we, we get paid a little differently. We get paid in coverage or, you know, um, smart communications, you know, but it's essentially the same thing. So, I mean, that, you know, you selling, you know, whatever uh, books to buy, to get that chocolate bar or whatever is, or selling yourself to get uh, that job out of college, it's, I mean, that's, it's a natural progression to public relations, I think. Yeah, I mean, we, unfortunately, often, I think, in, the, in a true PRL, true media relations role, we are salespeople selling a product that our customers really don't want or think they want. Right. Um, mm-hmm. They may want it and not know they want it. They don't know they want it yet. We're that's why we're calling it. Yeah. yeah, so, so it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it is sales. It's just sales, sales of an idea as opposed to a physical product. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, yes, it, it's, I think those, those who can succeed in one may have skills to succeed in the other. Sure. Yeah, Michael, I, I had the similar trajectory right before I joined Fleischman. I was trying to get a job at an ad firm and I actually did an internship in ad sales at Rolling Stone magazine and others. And I really thought I was going to get an advertising, but it never came around and the opportunity there put me in public relations. It's interesting. You, you were a business major, not a journalist, not a communications major, not liberal arts or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I found that in my career, being a business major too helped because one of the biggest things that, you know, is to understand the business, right? And how business works, because it helps you tell better stories. It helps you align messaging and all that stuff. No, I, oh, I mean, absolutely. And, so, and I think, I think sometimes people in comms narrowly think of themselves as comms people. And as our career progresses, we really are business people with an expertise in comms. Um, and, and that distinction is important in terms of your ability to sort of move up the career ladder and achieve higher levels of success. So, so, so we should be taking away that modern day title of storyteller and put, <laughs> put in something else? 
business storyteller, businessman storyteller. But I think it's, you know, you're, you're an advisor, you're a counselor, uh, and, and you're also an expert in comms. No one in the room is likely going to say they know more about comms than you. But when you're in a group, a group, a corporate environment with a group of people from different disciplines, um, you are ultimately peers trying to solve a problem. You just happen to be the comms guy or gal. So, so do you think, I mean, it's interesting because you don't, you rarely run into people in the comms space that have um, advanced degrees, especially in business. I mean, I, I think you probably do, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's common. Do you think that it's important? I mean, you know, you're talking, let's say you're talking to someone, you know, finishing up a poli-sci degree at a, at a university and they're interested in comms. Would you advise them to think about grad school and getting an MBA and how that might help their comms, uh, comms career? I think it, to some degree, it depends on what you really want to do ultimately. So if you, if your goal is to become, many times comms and organizations reports to the CMO, the marketing organization. If your goal is ultimately to move out of comms and become a CMO, an MBA certainly won't hurt your chances of finding that opportunity, right? Um, if you really want to stay a little more narrowly focused, um, you know, actual real world experience sometimes is just as good as what you're going to go learn in class. And there's not a lot of MBA programs or advanced degrees that really focus in on comms, right? Okay. So you tend, tend, to, tend to give you chops across finance and all the other sort of pieces. So, um, you know, I, I didn't get an advanced degree. I uh, spent 32 years working in Silicon Valley and a, a few years down in San Diego. I feel like I got four or five MBAs along the way. Yeah. I certainly learned a lot of things and made a lot of mistakes. And um, it's just a, it's just different options. I don't think there's one right or wrong answer there. Did you ever get did you, did you ever get an APR from Public Relations Society from America? I did not. I did not. And you know, it, as my career progressed, um, you know, PR became a smaller, smaller portion of what I was spending every day on. Right. I picked up bigger, bigger roles and responsibilities when I was running the the FH office in San Diego. Uh, that was a PR agency, but I was also a small business person. I was reporting to a publicly traded company. I had to hit certain profit targets. Um, you know, it is, uh, I wasn't spending all day, every day doing PR. I think if you're really doing PR all the time, then those kind of certifications may make sense. If, you're do, if your job is broader, then I think that there's diminishing uh, value from those kinds of, of efforts. But can you talk, let's, let's talk about the, your, your intersections that you've had between going from I mean, you run in an office and then you're also going inside. So there's agency and corporate experience. Uh, I, I know that when I do that, uh, net, the first time I did it coming from the agency and going in-house, I was like, whoa, there's a lot more going on here <laughs> than I thought. And, you know, sometimes PR is a little small piece of the pie. Uh, but as you get comfortable with that, it's easier to go in and out of it. Can you talk about how how you handled that and how you experienced it and what you brought to, to, to each? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think our success in, in, in business, in, in, in the business of, of comms or, or public relations or any sort of subset there is based on, on our teams and what we can, how well we can get our teams to perform. So if you've got a background, an agency background, and you're in an in, in-house role, and one of your responsibilities is optimizing the performance of your agency or agencies. The fact that you understand how an agency works, how they bill, how they think, what the role of a senior person versus a mid-level versus a junior makes you a much better client. You're able to more effectively get that agency to give you their very best work. You're also more effectively able to judge who's really doing the work and who isn't. And if you don't have the experience of being on the agency, sometimes it's just pick a word, something to PR, you know, the, the, the name of the shop PR. Um, on the flip side, you know, the folks on the agency side who don't have corporate experience 
ultimately really don't understand why the client disappears for seven hours in the middle of the day or right. why there's this offsite and they can't get any answer to anything for three days or why the client can't get the CEO to, to say yes or no to the, to the thing that's pending and hot. Um, and so I think it makes you a better client if you've got agency experience and it certainly makes you better um, on the agency side if you understand really what the, the nature of being on, on the client side is. So I think there's a lot, there's a ton of advantage um, for playing both sides of the aisle. Traditionally, there are a lot more entry-level jobs on the agency side than the corporate job. So it's not unusual to see people come into the field via the agency and then find themselves in comms roles. But if you can go back and forth between the two at a slightly senior level and not just simply exit the agency world and never return, you really are going to see the whole thing. And that really makes you the expert inside your organization. You're inside the agency, you're the person with the most corporate experience or inside the corporation, you're the person with the most PR experience. You really know how to get the most out of the team and, and how to apply those, that knowledge. You know, it makes that, me wonder that, if there should be some sort of like transfer system when you're working at an agency and, and you've, you know, with your client and somehow like you, uh, what do you call that? Like a, uh, not a transfer system, but a, uh, you know, like a, like a work, um, you know, like when you've got someone who is living abroad and then they come to stay with you and you send someone back to exchange them. Exchange students, yeah. Exchange, yeah. exchange, exchange, exchange student yeah. process, you know. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember being startled, frankly, Michael, when I went from Fleischman in-house at Actuate Corporation. This was 2002. And, you know, when I was at Fleischman, I thought, God, why the hell is this person not getting back to me? Isn't PR the most important thing that they've got going for them? And then, you know, you get inside a marketing department at a fast-growing company and you realize there are a thousand things going on here. Well, one of the things I've seen agencies do very smartly is convince their clients to let them house somebody from the team on site in the, right. in the, in the workspace for a, a day a week. And, you know, ultimately it comes down for, I think, for the corporation, the corporate folks to say, you know, how much am I paying for this? Am I really getting any yeah. extra value? But, but the, the understanding the person has sitting there of the dynamics that are going on, assuming we're all back to working side by side with each other at some sure. point, is just exponential versus it's been five hours I haven't heard from them. Instead, they can hear what's going on with those people. They understand, they have that perspective. So I think that's a, if we can't do the full exchange program, uh, you know, that, that's, that's another uh, interim, interim option. One, one more question on the same, on the same, roughly the same topic. You mentioned kind of having an understanding when you're on the corporate side of what's going on, the agency side. I've mentioned on this podcast many times that, you know, I'm sure there's a perfectly good reason for companies to hire Fleischman Hillard, for companies to hire the largest agencies out there. But I really think what most corporations, depending on the size, really need are one or two really good people. And this isn't a plug for me and Dave, uh, even though it's helpful, by the way. Um, but really, I, now. I, I think it's true. <laughs> I, I really think it's true. If you if you are inside and, uh, and and you have a really good sense of what a PR person or a PR team can do for you, you're probably better off in most cases finding one or two or maybe three really focused, experienced people who understand the job and can deliver for you. What do you think about that? I, I think that's in large part, I agree with that. Um, it's um, the situations inside corporations can be somewhat different. So let's take a very large, let's take a Fortune 100. They're looking for capacity. They're looking for gross capacity. They may have, let's say, 50, 60 of PR folks, maybe a hundred comms folks internally, they're still looking for agencies with burst capacity can add a dozen people or two dozen people to tasks, right? So that need is a little bit different. Yeah. But when you go downscale down to, let's say just smaller public companies or, or even companies that aren't public yet, I totally agree. In the end, it's really any agency engagement is going to be, is going to make succeed or fail based on the two people who do the most of the work from the agency. Yep. If the two people from the agency are great, you're going to have a great relationship. If the two people aren't, you're not. 
And if you if the agency can't keep staff and they keep turning over, you're going to fail because you can't keep retraining people all the time. So if it's two people, you don't need a giant 100 person office to give you two people. You can find lots of other ways to get those two people right now. You don't need all that overhead. Um, but if you need more burst capacity, then sometimes having a slightly bigger shop is helpful. Right. And by the way, you can reach me at www.tgprlc.com. <laughs> Michael, I just, I just want to continue that thread because, you know, we have a lot of those conversations like Kevin and I, um, and I, I counsel a lot of clients too, like what size firm do you need? And, you know, where, where Kevin and I sit and, and I've done, you know, large corporations headed up comms as well and been a lot of large teams you use the word burst, which is, is, is a good term, I think, because their large organizations have communications needs in several different areas. Like if you take a company like Cisco, there's security, there's networking, there's data centers. And, you know, while you may be able to hire a smaller firm or an independent to help out on certain projects, the scale at which you need people does require a bigger agency. And I think those, that's where the bigger agencies come in to help out. I think, yeah. yeah, I think that's right. And also, frankly, you know, because we do do crisis work in this field, the, the bigger the company, generally the larger the scale of the problem. So if there is a problem for a big company, it may be a really big problem, which is going to take a whole lot of people, right? So there are, are, are niches like security where you have very large problems with small corporations, but as a general rule, the big problems come to the big companies. Um, yeah. And so again, it, having that scale is really helpful. Um, there are of course always crisis firms you can bring in, but if you've got an existing relationship and familiarity and comfort with your current firm, having them be available without needing to come up with a giant hurdle is also a, a good tool to have in the, in the toolbox uh, in, as you figure out how to get through stuff. I would just like to remind the audience that the crisis firm is the most expensive comms firm you can you can pay for. <laughs> yeah, makes yes. sense. Right? Yeah. Hey, let, let's talk about rising through the ranks. So, intern, account executive, account supervisor, and getting to a manager position, right? And then maybe even to a director, right? I think you can get to those jobs being good enough and being the de facto tenured professor if you're the director and old enough right. to be there, right? But I've seen this happen in many careers and many colleagues and friends, right? They go from, you know, they, they make that sprint and they're doing all right. But the position of VP of comms or chief comms officer is often outside the reach of even the best communicators. You yeah. got beyond that, held that. What does it take to get the, to that level? And once you get there, what does it take to be successful over the long term? Yeah, I think you really need to step back and realize that at those levels, you're no longer the PR person. You are a senior executive in a company, a publicly traded or a private company, um, who is, is going to be have the opportunity to engage in a wide variety of different kinds of business scenarios. Why will you get that opportunity? Well, because lots of things that happen in business have a comms implication. Okay, so this is, is we want to do this and we're going to need to explain it to people, or this is happening to us and we need to explain it to people, or we're afraid this is going to happen and we don't know how we'll ever explain it to people. So whatever the scenario may be, the comms person gets, gets a seat at the table. Once you see the table, you're just one of the other execs. Like you're just, you're just there to try to solve the problem. Ultimately, you're thinking about it from a perspective like, oh my God, how am I going to explain to the employees what, what has happened here, right? So you want 
to minimize the problem, to solve the problem, and you're ultimately thinking about how you're gonna, you're gonna, gonna frame it to the public markets, to the media, to whomever you're gonna be framing it to, maybe all of the above. But it's, it's, it's recognizing as you move to that director and that senior director and that VP level, that you're not just focused on sort of share voice. You know, right. you're not that, you, your role is bigger than that. And it's, it's embracing sort of all the other aspects of comms, you know, community affairs, government affairs, all the pieces come with it. And then developing that political capital inside the organization, which allows you to be effective. You know, who, who is it as a VP of comms? Who is it that you talk to most in, org- in, a, in a company? Probably the general counsel. The GC right. is probably the person you're you say, to what about. can't you say? What, you know, what, what well, do you have to be careful when you do say it? What's, what's on your radar? What are you worried about for this week? And what do we need to go fix? Hmm. <laughs> you know, like, because yeah. they're mitigating risk from a legal standpoint, you're mitigating risk from a reputational standpoint. So a lot, counsel, a lot of intersection between those. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's certainly the CMO, obviously the CEO, the, those are all really key relationships. But the GC is somebody you spend a lot of time within these roles um, because you're looking at, you're looking at the really the large lens of things and then figuring out all the pieces that fall in underneath. So I think, you know, stretching your perspective of what your role is and what's, what's being sought from you. If somebody's going to make you a VP in a public company, you know, in most, most companies you're in the top 30. Like that's that's a that you know, that's a narrow a narrow fairly narrow group right so you've got to you've got to earn it and you've got to be able to contribute beyond just just you know just doing the calm stuff. Michael, you've had that role before. How, how often do you think about the risk associated with that role? These days, there's so much so much additional risk. I think for people working inside big companies in terms of what they say, uh, how they react to something, how quickly they react to something, or don't, or, you know, or if they're slow to react to something. Does that did that cross your mind? How how much of an issue is that for you? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. You're it's these are these are high pressure jobs, um, and and you know I mean we, we always laugh. You know whenever you want to you know come up with a new corporate logo, somebody 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 everybody inside the company is a design expert. Well, guess what? Everybody's also a PR expert, right? Yeah. So how the how it was explained to employees, how it was delivered to Wall Street, everybody's got an opinion on whether that was done right or wrong, and how they would have done it differently, right? So you're you're standing there taking the bullets, um, and ultimately you've got to have the confidence of the executive team and the board. Um, and you've got to have you've got to have a clear conviction of where you want to go, and you've got to stand up for it. Um, and you know you'll succeed if 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 the if the if the, if the votes are in your favor, and you'll fail if they're not. Makes sense, I, Dave. I, I I'd love to talk about the Michael mentioned the the stress and the pressure of the job. I'd like to get into that at some point. I don't know if you have something. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 let's talk about it because I wanted to talk about the the job, Michael. You talk coming from a PR perspective of the, you know. Uh, you know, it's not just a press release. It's just not media relations. It, there's a lot more about that. Uh, you know, you know, there could be internal communications. There could be government affairs. Uh, there, there could be many times keeping things quiet, right? Not necessarily. Nobody needs to know this, and let's handle it in a way that is on an individual level, Absolutely. right? Um, te- can you, you know, and, and what people don't see. Right. So particularly in PR, people see, oh, you write the press release. Oh, you get the news story. Or if you're an employee comms, oh, you handle the Internet and the website or whatever, you know. Uh, But they don't see that, you know, like you were saying, like there's a lot of meetings, discussions, pressures, executives to meet with, product managers to keep happy, outside forces there. Can you tell us a a war story of how you from your career that uh, is worth telling? So, so probably, probably the most entertaining would, would take me back to September 25th of 2019, which is the day 
that the transcript was released of uh, President Trump's call with the president of the Ukraine, uh, Zelensky. And in that, um, in that, in that, uh, in that transcript, um, Trump uh, mentions uh, CrowdStrike, my employer, mentions CrowdStrike and wants Zelensky to look into CrowdStrike and Ukraine and server and a bunch of other stuff. Um, picture this. We went public, uh, this is September, we went public in June, so 90 days later. We're in San Francisco, so the CEO, the, the um, director of PR and I are in San Francisco for the CEO's really first really rich face-to-face -face meetings with the media post the IPO. We've got Market Watch, we're live on Bloomberg in the afternoon, we've got CNBC, we've got the Wall Street Journal, we're going to see everybody. It's about 7 a.m. in the morning, I'm heading back from the gym at the Sheraton downtown, and I look at my, at my phone, and it suddenly isn't working. And the reason it isn't working is because they've released this, this, this transcript, and I have a service called TVIs. And TVIs let you know every time there's a mention in broadcast of your company's name. And the, the emails are coming in with you know, more than 60 a minute, and it crashed my phone. Wow. So we had, had generated, by the time we got to our first interview that day, we generated millions tens of millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of impressions around being mentioned in something nonsensical that we knew nothing about. Right. And so in that moment, you know, you, have, you, you look and, and uh, George Kurtz, the CEO of CrowdStrike is, you know, he's, he's a race car driver. He's uh, used to uh, dealing with stress. He's very good under fire. And you know, George and Alina, the director of PNI, looked at each other and we said, you know, it's like 8.15. We've quickly all gathered up. Are we going to go forward with the meetings? Or are we going to still going to see these people? And the answer was, yeah, we're still going to see these people. We have nothing to hide. We have no idea what this is about. And we're certainly not going to miss the opportunity to be go up front and center with, with the top press. Well, I mean, when we got to Bloomberg for the live shot that afternoon, Bloomberg thought they'd won the lottery, right? They've got the CEO of CrowdStrike on as they're still trying to put together the story of what the hell's happened long before we knew the impeachment would come out as a result of that transcript, right? So, but, you know, George looks at us and is like, all right, let's do it. And in we rolled prepared to, to, to pivot and take any of the questions to explain what we knew we didn't know and to get back to the success of the company and our rapidly rising valuation. You know, talk about a stressful day. The next day, we had our live all hands meetings with our employees all around the world on a giant webcast. We had to drive down to Palo Alto, rehearse and kick that off the next morning at 8 a.m. We did both and never took a breath on the back of that. It's, it, was, it was an unbelievable cycle for a company to, to find themselves in the crosshairs of such an international moment. Um, but, you know, trust and staying, staying on, fo on, on focus and getting through it. And, you know, today the company went, the company went, went out, uh, is a $3 billion pre-IPO valuation. The company's valued at $55 billion. You know, the company f has done just fine uh, with all that in the rearview mirror. Incredible. You know, I, I think I, I would guess that in the moment, um, you know, all kinds of things are racing through your head, how to deal with this, whether to take those meetings, whether, you know, whether to pass on them. After the fact, you must spend time looking back and thinking, you know, did we do this right? Should we have done it a little differently? Anything that you learned from that experience that you would have you done differently if you if you had the opportunity to go back or advice you have to somebody encountering? I can't imagine many companies are going to experience something like that, but something similar. Any any guidance? I, 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 in in like hindsight, that? I would have pushed back harder, been more aggressive about distancing ourselves from what was said. But you've got to recognize in the, in the context of the moment. The president of the United States has just said this. You, have, you don't really understand where this is coming from. 
you know, to, to, to you know, to sort of call out the president on live television is not necessarily the best, the best, uh, the best choice. So we, right. we, 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 we push back. I would push back harder today, knowing how everything has played out. Um, but we did, we did stand our ground. We didn't disappear and we showed up. And uh, I still think that was the right decision. You know, it's, it's interesting that president mentioned private companies more than anybody else. Usually politicians will do it in a very general way. The automotive industry or the airline industry, rather than calling out specific companies or persons. And I know, I know this, Michael, because I shared um, a similar experience when I was working with Micron. And Micron was huge in the trade war with China because sure. uh, there was litigation going on there about them stealing IP. And we were regularly mentioned by the president <laughs> at the time as an example of it. Not, not only him, but by you know, his leaders in the Commerce Department, et cetera. So yep. there's an extra pressure, added pressure, and how to respond to that. And, and it's interesting, you know, you, you in the position that you were in, it was like, oh, it's breaking news, right? But then that's when you rely on everything that you've learned as a communications professional, right? So we don't know anything about it, but let's address it and say, we're, we're looking into it. We don't have any more, but let's block and bridge to something else that we want to talk about. And let's move forward with the story that we want to tell, because, you know, particularly if you're going on broadcast, you've got four to five minutes max uh, right. on that. And they've got things to talk about and you can easily, you know, do that for a minute and then talk about everything else that you're doing for a minute uh, for the rest of the time. So. And I think your Micron example is great because, you know, Micron, uh, not a dissimilar size company to, to CrowdStrike, not a Fortune 50 company. You know, the, you know when, 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 when people take political swings at Microsoft and Amazon, they have giant teams of people mapping these things, thinking about these things, navigating these things. When, when, when major political figures take swings at smaller companies, there's just a few folks, right? So the scale of the ability to sort of grapple with this, we, these, the smaller companies aren't used to de dealing in international geopolitics. General Motors is, right? Yeah. Exxon is, right? So it's, it is even, I think, more challenging for the smaller newbies to figure out how to navigate this. this, this. And you're right, you know, the, 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 with the sort of toxic politics of the, of the last few years, um, a lot of companies have found themselves in situations they never imagined they'd be. And we've talked about that on this show a couple of times is that I think it, it behooves smaller companies to begin thinking in advance. I mean, you don't have all the people to do it, but you really do need to spend some cycles thinking about what might come to pass because these days we're finding that, you know, shit hits the fan everywhere. And, you know, you could be, you could find yourself, you know, uh, a front page story or, you know, you need to be prepared and yep. you need to think ahead on this stuff. And, uh, you're, you know, I think it's important to spend some time and resources doing that, depending, regardless of what size company you are. No, I mean, one of, one of the things we did religiously at, at, at many of the companies that I worked for over the last couple of decades is, you know, would, would routinely generate sort of speaking points and statements around issues that we thought potentially might come up at some point, or even issues that we saw competitors or others similar to us addressing. Um, yep. So that if that, 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 that light gets pivoted and shines on us, we're not starting from the, from, from a, without even having given any thought, right? It's a really good exercise to your point to, you know, to be prepared. You know, even if what you wrote three weeks ago, isn't exactly right. At least you're starting with something. It's close. Yeah. It's a good start. Much You've got a foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think this is a good time to segue because I, I think one of the things that I deal with, I've been at this for not quite 30 years, it's 27 years almost, but it, 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 I, I think the issue of stress in this job 
Um, you know, I think we had a really good example on a national stage recently with Simone Biles at the Olympics sure. and having to back out of her, uh, her competition. But so this isn't quite the same thing necessarily, but I think the stress of a public relations job, particularly at a high profile company is, uh, is, is, uh, is significant. And I know that personally I deal with this. I, I have felt many times over the years, um, anxiety, tremendous anxiety dealing with you know, clients that had certain expectations, oftentimes uh, outsized expectations, uh, press who were either didn't want to hear from me or, uh, or, or were not receptive to pitches that I was making. And, you know, it's, it's exhausting uh, mentally and, and sometimes physically. And I, I'm wondering if you personally have experienced anything like that, how you've dealt with it, um, and, and whether you've seen it in the profession uh, more broadly. I would say exercise and wine would be my two <laughs> primary go-tos here. And if you can do the right. exercise first and the wine later, it's a better option. Do wine first. Isn't as productive. Those things get out of order, you find yourself in trouble. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I retired uh, at the end of March. Um, I've got the opportunity to transition. I, 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 I won't ever be in a full-time operating role again. I, I'm done. And, and one of the reasons that I'm so definitive on it is, it's exactly what you described. It is. It is. It takes its toll. It takes its toll on the professionals. It takes its toll on um, uh, uh, the people on the team, on the agencies. It takes its toll on family members. It takes a toll on health. I mean, these are these are high pressure roles. And you know, every company is different. Every client is different. Every team dynamic is different. And if and if it's if it's okay today, it still could get better or worse in the future, right? Nothing is nothing stays status quo. But you know. I can tell you in the roll up, run up to the IPO at CrowdStrike, you know, I, you know, I think I and many of my team members, you know, pulled 80, 80 to 90 hour weeks, mm. you know, four, five, six weeks in a row. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's on the clock, full court press from sunrise to sunset, seven days a week, keep going, go. You know, is an IPO an amazing experience? Yes. When you can have a, a rock star like CrowdStrike was and see it through the process, of course, it's amazing. Experience. Do I ever want to do it again? No. That's just no. not tenable. You, you can't keep that up for very long. No, no, no. And, and so that was that was for a number of weeks. And then then the company was public. And then, you know, a lot of people took a lot of vacation. Right. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't sustainable. Human beings can't sustain that pace. But, you know. At, and and during a crisis, I, I've, been, I've done a ton of crises over the, you know, it, you know, tw on on a call for forty eight hours once. I was at a call for forty eight hours. Like you know, it just you just you, you you find your way through it, and then you give yourself the break you need, and you get the perspective. But it is it is it is you know, this is these operating roles, these full time roles, these these the people who the people who do crisis communications for a living and are, are in like their fifties and sixties and have done it their whole career. I don't understand those people. I, that's not how my body is wired, man. There's no way I could keep doing, keep doing this in another decade. No way. So, um, not with it's all the wine and exercise in the world. I, I honestly no. don't think so. Yeah. Not sustainable. Yeah. So, you know, it, and so, so what do you do to your question? What do you do um, as a leader? What do you do as a manager? What do you do? You, know, you, you recognize that this is what people are going through. You start off each call with, I'm so sorry, we're on here at 7 a.m. together again. You make sure that your team isn't on a call that you're not on. You're, you're a leader by helping to pull the dog sled, not sitting in the back whipping the dogs, 
right? You're in it to, the, to them. You say please and thank you. You recognize everybody's sacrifices. You try to give people breaks when you can. You make sure you don't have too many people on any call or any activity, but you get the job done as efficiently as possible and you give people a break and say, go back to your lives. I mean, it's all you can do. You get through it. You pull in every resource. You don't, you don't, you know, don't, don't cheap out on anything. Um, but in the end, you've got to get, get through it. And, you know, org businesses are set up so that the success of business is shared, is, is the incentive is shared among the employees. So every employee in a public company wants the public company to get through whatever and to have its stock survive and continue to grow and be successful. And there's th th those, those goals are aligned it, by the very nature of the compensation structure and how it works. And so if you can be in there shoulder to shoulder with your team, find your way through it and get it done and walk away with, with something close to a success, that's all anybody wants. Michael, when you have that seat at the table, right? So like, and imagine, you know, if you're the CEO, you're getting the pressure from everywhere, right? So it's legal, it's sales, it's whoever, it's comms, it's, it's the investors. And, and we talked about this sort of, you know, these pressures that and how it weighs on you. Did you get a sense that that was across the room? I mean, everybody else had their different sort of pressures, but I, I always feel like, it the PR or the comms pressure is totally different because a lot of times, particularly when you're in such a public light, you don't have the final control of the outcome. You're trying sure. to shape that outcome, but who knows what that reporter will write? Who knows how investors will react? Who knows what pitchforks the public will show up with, right? And so sure, that's I mean, a different kind of pressure. So. Yeah, I mean... So, so is the pressure shared? Absolutely. So your, your colleagues in legal, your colleagues in the finance or IR organization, uh, your colleagues in the, in, the, in the HR people organization, you know, all, you know but depending on what issues you're, you're trying to solve for, your, your, your colleagues in sales who've got a customer that's sideways, whatever the issues you're trying to solve for, others are absolutely sh sharing the same concern. But they're looking at it all from a slightly different angle. It's like a multi-sided object, a polyhedron, right? They're looking at it from a slightly different perspective, but you're all looking at the same thing. And, you know, in the end, What's going to make the best comms outcome? The best business decision executed well. Like you're really not arguing for a comms angle. You're arguing to get the organization to do the right thing as fast as possible. And then the comms will be easier or better or less bad, depending on what we're dealing with here, if that comes to pass. I mean, my rule of thumb with, with the execs, with the CEOs I've worked with over the years is, look, I'm not, we're not always going to agree and I'm not always going to be right. But before a major decision is made that has a major implication on, 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 on comms, I want you to say, Mike, make sure you say, Michael, what do you think? I want to know you heard whether I agreed or disagreed with the decision. You'll make the final decision. I will execute it. Um, and if we disagree often enough, I'll leave. But, you know, it's, 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 it's you've got to give me a shot. And, you know, I've, I, we, I've agreed to disagree with some of the people I respect the most in my life. And I wasn't always right. And that's fine. Right. So but but you just you want to be able to make sure that you get that that perspective, the perspective that we as professionals have into the conversation. You know, your colleague from legal to your right is going to have a slightly different perspective informed by a different set of considerations. Um, your government affairs person may have another perspective based on regulatory considerations. Right. So that's fine. But you just want and then in the end, just let's let's do the best we can, make the best decision we can and then just get going. Right. You know, the, the analysis paralysis is often the death of organizations. Right. Make a decision and move. If you stand in the middle of the battlefield, you will be shot. Hmm. So run to the right, run to the left, run forward, run back. If you see <laughs> time to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. 
we're running out of time. We could talk to yeah. you forever, right? Right. I mean, we could, you know, maybe Kevin smoking. and I. Yeah, we'll three, three pods with, with Michael here. He'll be back yeah, next week. Yeah, he'll be back next week. We, we might even take a job, Kevin, because, you know, he's telling us how to survive in this whole thing. There you go. That, that. All right. Uh, we don't have much time left, so let, 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 let's go Let's go quickly here. 20, what, 30-year career, Michael? How long were you 30, in? Yeah, 32 doing? years, yep. Proudest accomplishment. Uh, the CrowdStrike IPO, without a doubt. It was, uh, it was I, I've never worked harder at anything. I've worked equally hard on some things, but never harder. But the uh, coming into a company at 420 people, uh, pre-IPO and, and sitting back now and looking like at a $55 billion valuation public company, figuring out how to navigate all those uncertainties through that process um, and ultimately delivering a, just a phenomenal IPO um, and, and a very successful company that's done a tremendous amount of great work in a really important area. Couldn't, couldn't be prouder than, than, of, of, than that. Yeah, that, 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 those are great journeys. I mean, like, you know, people talk about uh, going public. I mean, they, they want the riches or whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And that's why you should be doing it. But along the way, and, you know, I had this experience at Pivotal, there is, there's mission building going on with that, right? Uh, there's employee uh, encouragement and, and, and uh, culture being built around that. And then obviously there's the investors, there's a story, there's things like that. It, it, is, it is a special journey that goes beyond just the day that you ring the bell. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and I think two, two points to that. One, you know, I was hired in 2017 you know, to build a comms, global comms function that could support a large publicly traded company. Like that was the vision. Um, we had that vision and, 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 and I was hired to do that. So knowing that informed the decisions I made in terms of the internal team, the agencies, the structure, the, you know, all, all sort of the pieces of the machine to be able to, to, to do that. And then frankly, guys, to do it in security is even more of a high wire act, right? Because sure. things, things, there's no five nines of reliability in security, no such thing. So um, it's it, it, so that's that was but the, but the other thing is, you know, the, 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 the journey of the culture of the company, to your point, David, to go from, you know, a startup to a public trade company is a huge journey for the employees. And to be able to be part of that and to help to guide that was really incredibly fulfilling for me. Cool. Biggest regrets, Michael. I know you got regrets in there. So. Hiring David Oro as an intern. Well, all right. So they're the first. I was going to say that, Dave. I feel like I was jumping on you before. You should have jumped in there. You could have done it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll self-deprecate. That's cool. I can't, believe, I can't believe sitting here in 2021 that I spent more than a decade commuting from the East Bay to the South Bay and never thought I would be able to be successful in a job if I didn't show up every single day. I mean, my, my, my wife joked initially my commute was like 40 minutes each way. And then I kept getting new jobs at bigger companies and well, quote promotions. And every time the commute was further than the last one. And she, at the end, she's like, what, what, what when are you going to take next? Is you going to drive to Phoenix every day? Like what possibly could be longer? But I was at the end of the cycle, I was doing four hours in the car daily, three to four days a week, commuting back and forth to the Valley. Guess what guys, what we've all learned in the last 12, 18 months here is we don't all have to do that. And you know what? Those are not the most productive hours of the day either. So I just, yeah. I just can't believe I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. And I, I basically needed to get broken by my commute and have COVID come along to figure out that that, that was the case. I will tell you, though, before COVID, when I joined CrowdStrike, 
I had uh, the, they made me the job offer. I said, okay, there's a one last condition. They said, what's that? I said, you may not put my name on any cube or any office in any location in the world. And again, it's my wife talking to me. She's like, if they put your name somewhere, you're going to think you have to go there. Right. Make sure they don't stick <laughs> your name on any place. So you don't think you have to go. And it, she was right. And so I, I've been a remote, I was a remote employee for CrowdStrike the entire time, changed my, changed my life, changed my health. Um, and I just wish I'd been smart enough to figure it out when I was still in my, in my so you were, the, but the reality is Mike, we didn't have the tools back then, right? You're talking about, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. We didn't have the comms tools that we have today from a from technology perspective. So it really wasn't, really wasn't possible to do what you That's right. Today. And, and CrowdStrike was the first employer years. I worked with where the majority of the employees worked remotely. So CrowdStrike was already architected to work remotely. When I joined, I was, I was doing the majority rather than the minority. And then with COVID, we, you know, did, we didn't miss a beat because we already had the majority employees remote anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So to all the companies out there that are thinking about going back to work, CrowdStrike is a $55 billion company with remote workers. So eat it. And, and, and is there advantage <laughs> of seeing your colleagues face-to-face on occasion? Sure there is. is. Do you have better meetings when you're all in a room with a whiteboard? Of course. But you don't need to sit next to each other and talk on your phone and type on your computer. You could do that from home. Yeah, you know, I posted something on LinkedIn the other day, and I was asking people to agree or disagree that the office is now the offsite, right? So you go there for a meeting. <clears throat> Because it's the offsite meeting that you do every quarter or something like that, rather than coming to the office every day. So uh, I would yeah, like that to might be true, that. but we had some epic offsites at Fleischman Hillard. <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know, just brush those aside. There was a yeah. boat trip out in the bay that was just fantastic. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, so you can take your offsite to the office. I'm taking mine on the bay. <laughs> That's pretty good. I remember that boat trip? That was a good boat trip. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Uh, all right. I mean, one other one for you. I would just say one other lesson from 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 the trail is I I I've never I never let anybody go too soon. There, the, the importance of fit in a role is so critical, and I always made the mistake of trying and trying and trying to get somebody to be successful in the role. If you can find a different role, great. But I, I as a manager, if if you're if if if, if somebody's in the wrong role. And they and they're suffering. You're extending their suffering by letting them continue to fail in that role. Um, and I think so, as managers, we need to recognize that we have a responsibility to, 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 to be able to look at the situation correctly, identify it, and to help people find jobs that fit them. And if the job you've got them in isn't the right fit, don't. And it's like my dog, my, my dog don't play with your food. Like it's right. just not going to work, right? It's uh, just, higher, slow, fire, quick. I think is the lesson there. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I never let anybody go too soon. Yeah, yeah, that resonates with me because in the in the other life that I have, there's there's somebody that needs to go, <laughs> so I gotta yep. go <laughs> deal with that right away. That's advice I'm giving them, the manager. So uh, that's a, that's a good one. Hey, Dave, let's let let's let Michael get on with his day. Let's skip the games and just jump to the one that, that people seem to like most: this rep fire refer game. And then well, we'll let's get to that. I want one more. I got one more question for oh, him, okay. right? And before he goes away, we'll do the rep fire refer. We won't play the games, but. Enough about PR, Michael. Tell us, and I'm gonna call you bastard for this. What are you doing now? <laughs> What's next? Because this guy. <laughs> so, so Woodhawk Vineyards. You can check us out at woodhawkvineyards.com. Uh, at the moment, uh, I we grow. Uh, we have 21 acres of Cabernet Sauvignon in the northern end of Alexander Valley. We grow our, our sell our grapes exclusively to Silver Oak. 
who you may be familiar with, makes a pretty nice uh, Alexander Valley Cab. So we're one of their largest producers. Um, in time, we will have our own wine as well. It's also a um, luxury vacation rental. So if you want to rent a really neat property on a vineyard, uh, and, and as, as the COVID continues to, uh, to roll forward and or get on our interest list, uh, go to the website, sign up, and we'll keep you posted of uh, when we get close to, to selling our own wine. I'm also doing some consulting. It turns out there's a couple companies going public this year. Have you guys heard about this at all? There's some IPOs. <laughs> anyway, apparently there's a bunch of, of companies out there who are looking for a little advice on, on, on how to sort of navigate the IPO process. So I've got several pre-public companies who I'm working mostly with the CMOs to sort of think through comp structure, comp strategy, the right team, the right agencies, sort of how to do this. Um, it's just a little side gig. You know, it's, I, like, I like to spend a couple hours a week doing that. Keeps my brain in the game. But uh, mostly I'm focused on on harvest, which should be in the next four weeks. 21 acres. Well, I was going to say, it, it is, I've seen the place online. It looks fabulous. It looks like a great place to stay. In the, and, and as a Napa Valley guy myself, I live in Napa County. Um, I'll give it up for Woodhock Vineyards over there at the far reaches of Sonoma County. Um, it's worth visiting. The Alexander Valley is just absolutely beautiful. So, Thank you, David. We'll have you guys buy for a glass of wine one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> So, Kevin, are you going to say something? No, yeah? it's okay. okay. Man, let's do it. All right. All right. So, we play this game, Michael. Rep, fire, refer. You get to rep somebody, you get to fire somebody, and you get to refer them. We pick three topics every week. Kevin, you want to go over? This is the all John's version, Michael. We're going with John McAfee, your former boss, I guess, at, uh, at McAfee uh, Security. John Berard, a former colleague of, of all of ours at Fleischman Hillard. He was our boss. He was yeah, our boss. He was, yeah. right? He ran the San Francisco office when we were all there. And uh, just to keep the Johns chair, we're going Johnson and Johnson. So we, 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 snuck, two, uh, we snuck an extra John into this, uh, into this game. So Johnson Johnson, obviously, in the news due to the COVID vaccine situation. So you got to rep one of those. You got to fire another and you got to refer the last. All right. So quick story on, on, on John McAfee, who I definitely would fire. Um, uh, so John, John had left McAfee long. I was there 2007, 2012. John was didn't own any stock, wasn't involved in the company at all. Um, it, you know, it, you know, name was on the building. Uh, obviously, he was the founder. We knew his story, but was not involved anyway. He was off in in the, in the Pacific North, uh, South, uh, racing experimental airplanes, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I was just wrapping up my gig at McAfee. Um, I was the acting CMO. Folks knew I was looking for going to go transition, do something else next. When he went bonkers down in Belize, hiding under the cardboard. You know, he's a person of interest in the murder of his neighbor over some dispute yeah. about a dog. He had his teenage girlfriends. They're in Guatemala. They're on their way to Miami. I remember looking out in front of the McAfee building at the cameras set up out there where people were doing the remotes for the Today Show and everything with the logo up above, standing in front of the building. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I interviewed with Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Juniper Networks. He's now the CEO of Starbucks. He was the CEO of Juniper Networks at the time. It was the final interview in the cycle to take the Juniper job. And I walked into his office. Uh, it, was, it was like right around the holidays. So it's right getting close to Christmas. Pretty, everybody's pretty casual, right? He's just standing there looking pretty casual. And I'm like, hey, and it's like Michael and Kevin. Started a question. I said, I just need to ask you one thing, Kevin. There's no Mr. Juniper, right? <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. I got great. the job. Yeah, but I learned my great. lesson. If you take it, go to join a company with somebody's name on it, make sure they're not back shit crazy before you take the job. <laughs> oh, my God. The guy's name is Kevin Johnson, so you snuck yet another John into the rep fire. <laughs> I did. Well, done. well played, sir. Well played. John McAfee's fired. fired. McAfee's fired. 
Uh, John Berard, well, would I be, would he be looking for PR counsel? What, how would, sure. so, that okay, man so, needs all kinds of help. <laughs> John Berard was, John Berard was the general manager of uh, San Francisco office of Fleshman Hillary. Well, we, when we were all around those parts, um, he's a ter terrific guy. I would absolutely love to partner with him. I think I would refer business and try to share it with him rather than rep him or fire him. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he was, he was, a, he was a, a, a key figure in my success in my life. Yeah, John's a good guy. All right, good. And then Johnson and Johnson. Well, yeah. you know, we all know the Tylenol story, right? So that was right. Story, right. So the, the company signed up eventually and did the right thing eventually. And, you know, brands survived and they saw the market cap come back and all the accolades. And then we got the talcum powder thing, right? The, the baby powder. You know, not going quite, they're not, it doesn't seem like they're using their own playbook on this one. Right. So um, I, uh, I, um, I think I would refer them to somebody who wants to deal with what appears to be a dysfunctional uh, thought process um, rather than a uh, rep of myself. Good call. All right. So, then somewhere else. All right, Michael, great to have you on the show. Great to see your success. Great to have you share, you know, the secrets of your success here along the way. Um, uh, I got to get up there pretty soon. Actually, I drove by this week, went up to Humboldt uh, and I was looking for Woodhawk from the highway. <laughs> I couldn't see it, but I just stopped by Cloverdale and went to Pickies, by the way. Maybe, so, maybe ah, it's a like Hillard reunion, too. Let's get that FH reunion going at some point. Yeah, you dude. Can host this, you can host at the vineyard. Yeah. yeah. Love it, guys. Hey, thank you guys both so much for having we us. We appreciate your time. It's a lot of fun. Michael. Thanks so much. Uh, Michael, do you want to... You picked the songs this week. You picked one for us. High hopes? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it tells the story well. You, you, we are, regardless of where you are in your in your career trajectory, if you hold out with high hopes and put everything you've got into it, you can be successful. So I, I love this song. It, it speaks to me, and hopefully, it speaks to you. All right, thank you all for joining us this week. <laughs>